Once again, we want to welcome you and thank you for being with us today. Such a joy to have you this morning. This morning, we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 5 and read an unusual story about a man who had great power and was in charge of a lot, but yet suffered with an ailment. This man was a commander of the king's army, and he suffered with something that was very common in biblical times called leprosy, which was the decaying of the skin. And his effect continued to happen through his life as uh, this process was going on. And there's still a theme that is very common even in the New Testament of seeing people who had leprosy. And something that was unique about people with leprosy in biblical times is that they were considered unclean. And so people would often relegate them to the outcast of society. They were kind of placed on the bottom of the totem pole, if you will. And so here is this man whose name is Naaman. And Naaman gets married. And as, as his wife is talking with another young woman who is from Israel, she tells him about a prophet that can take care of his problem. And so the story goes, we're going to read in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 3. I want you to see her conversation that she said as they were talking. She says, if only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. He would cure him of his leprosy. And so Naaman went in and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. And notice what he did. He went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me, a cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. Such is an interesting uh, uh, order of events here. We see this man, Naaman, and what is really unique about this story is normally in Israelite culture, the lepers, as we said, would have been at the bottom of culture. But here is Naaman, who is a leper, but yet he is the commander of the army of another king's army. And so he gets the word to go and, and go to Israel. And so he gets the blessing from his king to go. And it's really unique that Naaman doesn't go to the prophet. He goes to the king first. And when he gets to the king, he takes a letter and this the king of Israel opens that letter up and reads it. And it's almost like he's offended that Naaman had the audacity to walk into him for a cure. I don't know. Perhaps he was offended that he couldn't do it. So it made him look weak as a king. Who knows? But nonetheless, this king took his garments and he ripped them, a sign of showing distress in these times. And and he said, am I God? to give life or death. And he said, basically, Naaman, he's trying to pick a fight. Oh, there's about to be a war over these two, over Naaman coming and asking for a cure from the king. But then the Bible goes on and tells us that Elisha got word of this, got word of Naaman coming and asking for a cure from the king. And so he sent to them. And so then the Bible says, and we're going to continue reading in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 9. 
And imagine this. The Bible says that Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Think about this for a moment. Here is Naaman pulling up. Remember, he's got a bunch of gold and silver and a lot of clothes with him. And he pulls up to the front of Elisha's house, basically with an army and parks as if though here's a grand entrance about to happen. What I love about this story is the Bible says that Naaman came and Elisha sent a messenger. It was almost way to uh, kick Naaman off of his high horse, so to speak. Elisha didn't even approach Naaman. He sent a messenger to him and he told him, go wash it in the Jordan seven times and your flesh is going to be restored and you shall be clean. The Bible says, Naaman, he became angry and went away saying, I thought that for me, he would surely come out and watch what he says and stand and call and wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. And he goes on to talk that um, basically he went away in rage. He almost missed what God had for him. And then the Bible says that some of his servants told him, won't you at least do what the prophet says? And so eventually Naaman submits, he is in obedience, and then he is healed and made well. This morning, I want to talk to you about looking for a cure. Isn't that the nature of our world right now? Looking for a cure. We're looking for a cure against a virus that has wreaked havoc on the earth. We're looking for a cure to illnesses and ailments that we all have and deal with. We are looking for a cure for this and that running here and there and everywhere looking for a cure. We're always wondering what's going to happen tomorrow. What's coming up next? What's the next few months going to look like if there's not a cure? If there is a cure looking, 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 looking for a cure. And this morning, I want to talk to you about a different type of cure and a different type of ailment that happens in all of us in our hearts. And the problem with Naaman was, was that he had to learn a few things before he could experience the healing that God had for him. He had to go through this little journey of learning a lesson so that he could see that God was ultimately in control. He was looking for a cure, so much so that he was willing to, in a way, leave his town, go to another town and find that cure that he was looking for. It's the kind of thing that happens today. People looking for a cure, whether they know it or not, trying to fill the void, which is their soul. Putting things here, putting things there, trying to find the ultimate fulfillment in our lives. And sometimes we as believers are even guilty of that. Looking for a cure, running here, running there, and trying to get the answer to the problem that we're dealing with. But really, the Lord is calling us a different way. I want to show you a few things, lessons that we can learn in Naaman's life that would help us also understand what it means to look for a cure. First thing I want to show you is that Naaman was looking for a cure in all the wrong people. He was looking for a cure in all the wrong people. First, Naaman thought that if he would go to the king of Israel, it still baffles me why he went to the king. I don't know. Maybe it was a respect thing. Why did he go directly to the king? I don't know. But ultimately, we know he went to the wrong person and he almost started a war with that king looking for a cure in all the wrong people. And the king ultimately threw up his hands like, what? Why are you coming to me? 
It's true that even now today, we often spend our lives for this little ailment in our soul, this place of our soul and our relationship with God, that we're looking for a cure for this thing in all the wrong people. We go here and we go there. We look to this person and that person trying to find the cure for ultimately the only thing that God can fulfill. In the life of Christ, we see Jesus going about the streets, doing signs and wonders, miracles, raising the dead, healing the blind, making the lame walk again. All of these wonderful miracles. And it teaches us that Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the healer. Did you know that today, that Jesus is the healer? But let's take it a step further. Jesus is not only the healer, he is healing. Jesus is healing. When Jesus came, and we're going to celebrate it in a few weeks and on Easter, when Jesus came upon a cross and gave his life for you and I, the Bible says that he took upon himself the chastisement that was meant for our peace. Upon By his stripes we were healed. His, his suffering on the earth bought us the healing that we need. All of us. He not only does healings, he is healing. What does that mean? That means that when Jesus came and gave his life upon a cross, he resurrected again. He healed the fracture in our relationship between you and God. I and God. Ultimately, he made the way whole again. Where there was a distance, where there was a gap, Jesus brought healing through his suffering. He healed the fracture that is our relationship with the Lord. And what Naaman had to learn in this process was that he was looking for a cure in all the wrong people. He went to the king first. The king couldn't give him what he wanted. He even went to Elisha. Elisha didn't step out. He sent a messenger. And even then, he didn't want to go about the process, which takes us to our next point. He was looking for a cure with the wrong purpose. He went and looked, notice what he did. The Bible says here that he took with him 10, 000, or 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garment. Basically, he came in expecting to buy the healing that he needed. He came with the wrong purpose. He thought that what that woman told him about in Israel, he could buy. He thought it would just take a little bit of money and a nice little letter to smooth things over. But what he had to learn in the process was that it wasn't about money. It wasn't about power. It wasn't about some clothing, but it was about encountering God Almighty himself. Ultimately, the Bible shows us that when uh, Naaman went and he was healed, he ultimately did what the a prophet told him. And then he spoke before, after his healing, he says, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Naaman's purpose in coming to Israel, he thought was for healing, but his real purpose for coming to Israel was to know God. And as the commander of the king's army, his voice was influential. Now he had a voice to tell all the people around him, the cure that I thought I needed wasn't in a prophet, wasn't in a king, wasn't in what anybody could say to me. It was in God himself. He was looking for a cure with the wrong purpose. He went in thinking he could buy the healing, but God showed him differently. I think it's interesting what Naaman said, that Naaman almost had a kind of sorcerer mindset that he said about Elisha. He said, I thought that he would just come outside, stretch out his hand and just wave it over me and it just be done like that. He was looking for the quick answer, the solution. When I was a youth pastor, I did a series on Jesus is. And one of the series that I did was titled Jesus is not genie. 
I love the Latin. It's funny. It's, I love Robin Williams and Genie, right? He pops out of that, that lantern when he rubs it and he says, I'll do whatever you want. And he dances and he laughs and it's a cute movie. But the truth is, oftentimes we treat Jesus like he's that Genie. Rub the lamp, come and get what we need from God and then leave. We get to the point in our lives where we try to condense God down to a service he provides instead of the God whom we encounter. But listen, God is more than anything. He is more than just some check in and check out. He is God Almighty. That same God that you and I come to seeking the answer we need is the God who created you and I, heaven and earth. He's the one who's seated on a throne high and lifted up. He's God Almighty. But yet oftentimes we check God like he's something we can just get and then leave. God is more than just trying to buy him with our good church attendance. God is more than just trying to buy him with our tithes and offerings. God is more than trying to buy him with just sounding good and looking good on the outside. God isn't concerned about all of those things. God is ultimately concerned with us encountering him himself. Elisha told Naaman to go about this process, and he didn't want to do that. He wanted to go about another way, and he almost missed what God had for him. He almost missed the healing that he needed in his life by trying to buy it. And he had to learn to go about it a different way. Basically, he was exploiting God through doing all the right things, but being all the wrong things. He had to learn in his life, it didn't matter if he did this, he brought all the money in the world. God isn't interested in that money. He was interested in his heart. We cannot get to the place in our spiritual lives and in our prayer lives where we condense God to a service he provides instead of the God whom we encounter. Listen, God wants to know you and I so much so that he promised us his Holy Spirit. God with us even now when he was on earth he was Emmanuel God with us and then he promised us the Holy Spirit who would be God with us even now dwelling and living inside of us and what God wants from you and I sure he would love to bless us with the miracles and the things we need in our lives but God wants more than anything is your heart he wants to have a relationship with us he wants to come to the place where instead of running here for an answer and running there to an answer, that we would get to the place where we would run to him for an answer, where we would look to God for the cure for our soul. There's a similar story that occurs in Acts chapter 8. We talked about this last week when, Jesus, or when uh, the apostles are doing great signs and wonders. There's a miracle happening among them. The people are getting saved. They're coming to the Lord. But in town is this man who's known as Simon the Magician. And he was the center of attention until the apostles arrived. And they showed them what a true miracle looks like. He did signs and wonders through magic. And they thought it was great and all until he got kind of demoted and realized that what they needed was the gospel. And as the gospel was changing people's lives, Peter and John came and they laid their hands on the people. And the Bible says they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And Simon walked to Peter and John. And the story goes, and you can read in Acts chapter 8, that when Simon saw that the Spirit was giving through the laying on the hands, he offered them money. He said, let me buy that. Let me, let, me, let me purchase that for myself. And saying, he said, give me also this power so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter corrected him and said, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. 
Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the chains of wickedness. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may happen to me. Simon was okay as long as he was a magician and he was the center of attention. But when he realized that there was something bigger and greater than himself that had come on the scene, he wanted to buy that power. And Peter told him, no, you can't buy this. Let your silver perish with you. This is God's heart. And your heart is not right before God. Your heart is not right before God. It was the test of priority. It was learning where is the heart when in our relationship with God and experiencing God, where is our heart? Are we just trying to buy God for what he could give us or are we truly coming to God to experience him, him for himself? Listen, you and I, when we're going to get to heaven, there are going to be streets of gold. There are going to be mansions and all of those things are going to be wonderful. But listen, all of that is not going to be anything compared to God himself. Surely if the one who made that or those things are great themselves, then the one who made them has got to be even greater. You and I, want when we get to heaven, the, the joy of our lives isn't going to be in any crown we receive. It's not going to be in some street of gold. Listen, that's going to be the least of our things we put our attention to. But it's going to be the fact that you and I are standing before God Almighty, who is great and wonderful in all of his ways. And this is what Naaman had to learn, that he thought he just could get a little healing through some money. But he what God wanted him to to see was that he wanted to encounter Naaman for himself. Come experience me, Naaman. Let me show you how wonderful and great I am. The story goes on with Naaman that Elisha would go and send or Elisha would send him home. And, but as Naaman was leaving, he wanted to buy or he wanted to leave a present, the Bible says. He wanted to leave all of that gold and silver and clothes he had, but Elisha wouldn't allow it. He basically was trying to show him, you're, you're defeating the purpose of what you just learned. You, you can't just leave that here with me. And he sent it back with him. But then as Naaman was on the way home, this, this is interesting. Elisha's servant, Gehazi, runs after him. And Gehazi is chasing Naaman down. And, he see, and Naaman sees him coming. He says, what's wrong? And Gehazi comes up with this little story that's real cute. He says, well, the prophet says that all of the all the other prophets are about to come in town. We're going to need some of that money you offered us to help take care of them. And Naaman says, sure, why not take it back with you? So Gehazi takes all of that and he goes back and Elisha approaches him and says, Gehazi, where have you been? And of course, he comes up with some other lie. And the Bible says that because of that, he brought upon himself the same leprosy that Naaman had. What Naaman left in Israel, Gehazi took upon him in his own life. Gehazi missed the point of the story. He missed the point that what God has to offer for you and I cannot be bought. It cannot be condensed down to some money. It cannot be condensed down to some quick service that you search on Google and you say, I'll go find there for what I need. No. What God has to offer is a loving relationship where it transforms our lives. You and I, we're looking for a cure here, there, everywhere. But listen, the thing about a person who learns that God himself is the treasure 
is that they can have a mountain fall on top of them. They can be in the middle of a storm the size of the U.S. They can be in the greatest of obstacles, but they will have discovered that God is more than enough. That he is not something to be bought or just condensed down to a quick service I can get. But he is the God whom we encounter that loves us and we ought to do the same. I'm convinced in my own life that if people in, in, in ministry, I've seen this just time and time again. People who learn to love the Lord their God with all of their heart. Don't hold anything back. With all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their strength. That person is blessed beyond measure. You couldn't put anything up against that person. That person is blessed because God takes delight in the person who he takes delight in him as God. In our lives are we trying to buy God? And I had to search my own self and I had to think, Lord, how about the times I come to you in prayer? What's my heart in that? Where's my heart? Am I just coming to you because I'm trying to get what I need? Or am I coming to you because it's my heart? I love you. We're looking for a cure and the cure that our world needs today is Jesus. We sang his name today. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But instead of running here and there, God wants us to get to the point where we just look to him for the cure. Listen, when you get in your life and you don't know how to pay the bills and you've gone here and there and everywhere and you realize you have nowhere else to go, that's the point where you learn to look to God for a cure. When you realize that the doctors have told you everything they can tell you and you have no other alternative, that's when you learn to look to God for a cure. When your family is falling apart and you've tried everything you can do and you get to the point where you're all out of energy, that's the point where you look to God for a cure. And I'm convinced that those are some divine appointments in our lives so that we will learn to treasure God above all else. The parable of the, the Bible talks about in the New Testament, there's this parable. It's like the one who found treasure in a field and he gave up everything, sold everything so he could buy that field because the treasure of that field wasn't about some materialistic thing that would waste away. It was about God himself experiencing and encountering God. And listen, church, what's going to change our world today isn't a good service that we can provide. It isn't a, a cute little sermon that I can put together that sounds good, looks good, and appears good. What's going to change the world today is when people encounter God. That's what happened to Naaman. That's what happened to every person in the New Testament that came across Jesus. They left transformed. When, when we learn to encounter God in our lives and encounter Jesus, we will leave transformed different, made new, healed, made whole. The emotional healing we need, the spiritual healing we need, maybe even the physical healing we need will come when we learn to encounter God for himself. I love the story. The New Testament musicians are going to come. In Matthew chapter 8, there's this miracle that happens of this centurion, the Bible says. And he saw Jesus. Imagine this with me for a moment. He heard about what God could do. And he heard rumors. Put yourself in this biblical times for a moment. He heard rumors that there's a guy in town who when he puts his hands on sick people, they're made well. He heard rumors that this guy took just a little bit of food and fed a multitude. He heard rumors that the winds and the waves even obey him. 
He heard rumors that people came out to be baptized and repented all for the sake of this man. And he realized that who this man is is something more than just a healer. He is healing. The Bible says this centurion came to Jesus and he says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. And it's interesting to me. Jesus stops him right there and says, I will come and cure him. I'm coming. I'm going to cure him right now. But the centurion wasn't finished with what he had to say. He says, no, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. You'll just say the word that will be enough. The centurion realized that who Jesus was, was not just some healer. He wasn't just some magician, but he was God almighty. And when he said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. That shows us that he had a realization of who God is. And when he said, Lord, you just speak the word. He realized this is the God of creation. He can breathe life just by saying it, by speaking it, by doing it through his mouth. The Bible says that Jesus was pleased by this. And he says, when Jesus heard him, he was amazed. And he says, I haven't found such a faith in all of Israel. You want to know what pleases Jesus? You want to know what Jesus delights in? Is when we come to him for who he is. Imagine someone comes to you and says, hey, you're a real good friend and all. Will you help me mow my yard? You volunteer in your good-heartedness and say, sure, I will. And then you never hear anything from that person ever again. Imagine someone comes to you and says, hey, I could really borrow $10. I'm just struggling. You say, sure, I will. And then it ends after that. Imagine someone says to you, oh, will you give me a ride? My car broke down. But then you never hear from that person again. Imagine for a moment how God feels when we treat him as something that's just a service instead of coming to him himself to say, Lord, oh, I love you. I want you. I want to experience you. I want to treasure you. I want a relationship with you. Listen, the person who's going to endure to the end, the person who's going to last and make it is the person who's going to love God with all of their heart. Instead of looking for a cure in all the wrong people or in all the wrong purposes, you're looking for the cure in Jesus, just constantly, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's like a reaction of your heart. You just fling back to him. It's who you are. I love how the Bible shows us in Revelation chapter 21, and John sees this great, beautiful new Jerusalem, the Bible describes it, this city that's going to come down. I love how John he gets excited. There's exclamation points in the writing. He doesn't get excited over the fact that there's gold. He doesn't get excited over the fact that it has really pretty artwork, pretty walls. He says when he looks up and he sees the new Jerusalem coming, he says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. The thing that excited John wasn't the fact that he had seen this beautiful city. It was the fact that he realized, now I'm going to be with the Lord forever. I'm going to dwell with him. I lived my life on earth with him. But now for eternity, I'm going to dwell among God. That should be the joy of all of our hearts is that one day you and I are going to dwell in the presence of the one who knows our thoughts, who created us intricately, and he wants to know you and I. Are you looking for a cure? I love how John, he ended that passage. 
He said this about God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's not going to be any more death, no mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus, he's not just the healer, he's healing for you and I, the cure for our soul. And this morning you're here, you need healing more than what man can give you. Listen, you can't go to CVS and buy it. You can't go to a doctor and get it. The cure that you need for your soul comes from Jesus. All of us, the Bible says, were lost and astray, but God in his rich mercy brought us near. All of us today. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? This morning you're here. I know there's a lot of us here. We're coming from different backgrounds. This morning you need healing. Spiritual healing, emotional healing, physical healing. I want to encourage you today. Sure, use wisdom in your life. But look to the Lord today. Oh, how God delights in the person who would just come to him. Running here and there and everywhere. God just says, stop your running around. Just come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest, Jesus says. Oh, how he delights in his children when they come to him. It's really a, the act of prayer. God, I'm battling with this. I'm wrestling with this. I'm struggling. I need you today. I need more than what you can just give me. I need you, Lord. You are healing. You are what I need in my life. I'm incomplete without you. The choir is going to come, and while they're coming, would you just say that to the Lord in your own way? Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you need the Lord to intervene in your life, looking for a cure, God wants to give you the cure for your soul that you need. Father, we thank you today. We bless your name, Jesus. Oh, God, that you would heal our souls, Lord. Lord, a world that's running around looking for the answer. And here we are, the church, we know the answer. But sometimes, God, we forget it. Lord, today we pray that we would run to you, Jesus. Give us the heart of that centurion, Lord. God, he knew who you were. He recognized who you were, and he wanted to experience you. He knew he couldn't buy it from you. But he knew that he could experience you and encounter you. God, today we recognize how much you love us. As we sing this morning, you are running us after us. We're running into your arms today. Father, this morning for someone who's battling emotionally, physically, spiritually, God, today I just want to pray peace, peace over them, Lord. Healing for their souls. By your stripes we were healed, Lord. You suffered for us, God, so that spiritually we wouldn't have to suffer, that we could enjoy peace and life that comes from your presence. Lord, help us to run to you, Jesus. 
more than anything in this world, Lord. Don't let us run to people or things, but let us run to Jesus. God, we want to be like that parable, the treasure. Give up everything for you, Lord. You're worth it all, Jesus. You're worthy of it all, Lord. God, we love you today, Jesus. We thank you today, Father. As the choir sings the song, would you call upon the Lord? Trust him today. Know him. Encounter him. Experience him.